0: we carry on in our exposition of this glorious gospel and we've already learned so much even as we began it in chapter 9 it's been a short study so far but we've learned so much already we've we've learned that we must love God above all else and we've learned that we must love our neighbors as we love ourselves and And we've also learned that we must love the Word of God more than the words of men. And then last week, Pastor Rick confronted us with the Lord's Prayer and the the glorious gift that we have through Jesus to come to the Father and to pray, and that we should be bold in our requests, and we must ask for a specific gift, the necessary gift each and every day to experience more of the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that necessary gift is the Holy Spirit, to pray to the Father through the Son, asking for more of the Holy Spirit, that we might have a closer walk with the Lord Jesus. Well, today we're confronted with yet another important lesson, a powerful lesson that we live within a physical and spiritual realm. That's the reality of our lives, of our situation. We live within a physical and a spiritual realm. And Jesus Christ is Lord over all. He is the Lord and King over the physical and the spiritual. And because of sin and rebellion, all of creation groans under this cosmic battle that is taking place between the Lord Jesus and Satan. But the Lord Christ has absolute authority over all things, including the forces of darkness that we'll see today. And even in the midst of this war that we see taking place, we're reminded that the Father promised that this would happen right at the beginning, right at the fall, right there in the garden. The Father declared the reality of seed warfare and the drama of this battle and war that takes place, that the seed... Of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And you see, we're caught up in all of this drama. Whether you realize it or not, you're caught up in this cosmic drama, this cosmic warfare. Whether you like it or not, or you realize it or not, you're either, either in the kingdom of light and life in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're in the kingdom of darkness. Under the power of sin and Satan and fear of death and judgment. Well, our sermon text confronts us with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he will do. And his call to each and every one of us. That you're either with him or you're against him. So hear God's word from Luke chapter 11 verses 14 to 28. The word of the Lord. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and, I, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The word of the Lord for you and me. May he write it upon our hearts forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, this brings us to our first main point this morning. First, we need... To behold the king's divine authority. That's what we must behold right here in our narrative, in our text, in verses 14 to 16. We see a picture of the king and his kingdom coming forth, subduing and crushing evil and saving the lost. That's what Jesus is demonstrating for us right here. The reality of his own divine authority, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and what we see here is Jesus's cosmic lordship. He's in charge. He's not just the savior of individual souls, but he's also the sovereign ruler over all of creation, physical and spiritual, including the powers of darkness. And this lordship's on display in Jesus as he's casting out this demon from this mute man. Just as the demon could not withstand Christ's command, so too are all the forces of darkness subject to his supreme authority. You see, Christ's authority, it extends beyond the mere physical, and that's what we see here. This man's great problem wasn't his physical ailment, his physical problem of not being able to speak. It was the demonic oppression that was keeping him mute. You see, this is symbolic of the reality of humanity's spiritual muteness and bondage to sin. You know, you hear a lot today about people having a voice and using their voice. Well, you see, the reality is in the bondage of sin and death and judgment, sinners don't have a real voice to cry out against it. But you see, Christ, through His redemptive work, He comes and He breaks the shackles of of sin and He gives us a voice To proclaim His truth and to proclaim His praise. And that's what we see taking place here. Through Christ's work at the cross as the Lamb of God, He redeems His people and He gives them a voice. He gives them confession. He gives them praise. And doesn't Jesus display His absolute kingdom and power throughout His earthly ministry? Don't we see this? From beginning to end, the reality of His authority, the reality of His power... I mean, Jesus heals the sick because he has all power over the physical, over the body. And Jesus is able to command the storms and to calm them because he has all authority and power over the elements. Jesus is able to raise the dead because he has power over life and death. And Jesus casts out demons because he has power over the spiritual world. As the Lord of the universe, as the King of kings, He proclaims the Word of God. He proclaims the Gospel. He comes forth bearing witness to His authority and His power and preaching the good news. So here we are confronted with the reality of His divine authority. What are we to do with this? Right off the bat, what must we do in light of this truth? Christ's divine absolute authority and power over all. Well, we must embrace Christ's authority over every aspect of our lives. Just as he triumphed over darkness, he triumphs over our sin. He triumphs over our spiritual strongholds, that we're liberated, that we're free, that we live for him. Our lives should reflect his reign over our Hearts, our affections, our minds, our thoughts, our words, our actions over everything. So, what does Satan and his followers do here? Well, hating the Lord, they attack the truth. They slander the Lord Jesus. They bring forth lies. And what does Jesus do? We see the reality that he divides the sheep from the goats. That brings us to our second main point this morning. We need to behold the king's dividing power. His dividing power. That's what we see in verses 17 to 23. The story it's unfolding here. Christ has cast out the demon, as he's done many times already. And the crowd is thunderstruck. They stand in awe of what he's done. But there in the presence, right there, is this reality of the mixture of the body before him. There are those doubters, hating Christ, rejecting Christ, the Pharisees, the religious police, and and yet seeing this miracle with their eyes, they're so filled with jealousy and hate and unbelief that they reject and lie and slander the Christ. Imagine there's this mixture And among the faithless ones, there are two responses. That's what we see in 15 and 16. Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. And others are just, give us another sign, give us another sign, give us another sign, and we'll believe. And can you imagine, instead of being led to confess that here is the Christ, the king over all, the authority, the power, the glory, They actually blaspheme Jesus and they say, here is the Lord of the flies. Here is the Lord of the dung heap. Here is the Lord of demons. That's how he does this. So Beelzebub is the name of the false god of the Philistines. Can you imagine them making this charge right here? Jesus, you're not Messiah, you're a monster. And if you think that this is a one time horrible reality where this takes place, you'd be wrong. Because, brothers and sisters, don't we face the same lies even today? Even within our own community and our nation and the world that Christianity is evil, that the gospel is evil, that Jesus is evil. The lies of the blasphemous fallen world driven by Satan I mean here it is here is the man who stands before them bringing spiritual healing and salvation and blessing and they make this horrible accusation against him that he is actually doing this by the power of Satan well either Jesus is Messiah the Son of God and we must submit to him and receive him or he's not And so here it is. Here's this dramatic scene right there. And right in the face of the love of God personified up from the pit of hell comes this grotesque slander, not Messiah, monster. And here are these other hardcore skeptics. They just keep pressing for a heavenly sign, just testing the Lord, testing the Lord. We see that even today. I would believe in Jesus if he would just come right here, right now, and do this for me. Not enough. Testing. Denying. Lying. So how does Jesus respond to the lies, the satanic accusations, and the faithless testing of the skeptics? Well, he knows their hearts, he knows their minds, and he knows he must respond. So first, he gives a simple statement to show the falsehood of this claim, the outrageous reality of this claim. He says, come on now, you know no kingdom divided can stand. Come on, you Jews, you should know this better than anybody. No kingdom divided can stand. I mean, after Solomon died, Israel was divided, northern kingdom and southern kingdom... Given over to sin and given over to division. What happened? Fell like a house of cards, destroyed. The people were taken off into exile. The temple was destroyed. The house divided cannot stand. And, and Jesus presses his rebuttal even further. He says, if Satan is divided, how will he stand? Satan doesn't want to destroy his kingdom. He would never divide his power. This is preposterous. And then he presses it even further with a question If I cast out demons by the power of Satan, then who do your sons cast out demons? By what power do they use? Satan has been at work from the beginning. Demon possession is a reality. How are any exorcisms done? Well, Jesus shows just how ridiculous these false accusations are. And after giving them a rational smackdown, then he turns and gives the only other alternative. This has got to be one of the most dramatic moments in the Gospel of Luke until we get to the Passion. Verse 20. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. these people would know exactly what Jesus was referring to. He's quoting from Exodus chapter 8. You know the story. This is a reference dealing with the reality of Moses, the one who was sent by Jehovah to stand before Pharaoh and proclaim, let my people go. And then through the word and the authority and the, the power of Almighty God to do amazing signs and wonders in this battle between Pharaoh and the Lord to liberate the people of God. Well, when Pharaoh's satanic magicians couldn't mimic the signs, the plagues that were taking place, they had to confess to Pharaoh Moses' word and power was the finger of God. And what does Pharaoh do? Well, immediately his faithless heart grew harder. And just as Pharaoh was confronted again and again with signs and wonders and the proclamation of liberation, the gospel good news, let my people go, he rejected. His heart was harder. He lusted after his own power and his own glory, so he tried to keep God's people in bondage, and he was crushed and judged. And here you go. How much greater is the greater Moses As he came forth in glory. In time and space. Right here the the son of God. The son of man. He comes forth as the embodiment of God's holy word. And God's holy law. And God's holy love. To save his people. His bride. As the righteous one that went all the way to the cross. As the holy lamb. To redeem his people. To ransom them. To deliver them, to break the bondage of sin and death and hell and Satan. Here's the picture. Those given to him by the Father would know freedom in Christ. Isn't this exactly what Jesus foretold as he began his earthly ministry right there in Nazareth? Luke chapter 4. After he'd been baptized and driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to do battle with Satan to be tested for 40 days and 40 nights. He defeated Satan. He defeated temptation. He went into Nazareth. He went to the synagogue. They handed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord Jesus Christ came forth by the authority and the power of God Almighty to bring salvation. But you see, just like Pharaoh, a servant of Satan with a hard heart, so too are these men. Servants of Satan with a hard heart, but the power of God had come. Messiah had brought the kingdom of God with him. And they should have cried out in the presence of Jesus, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Hosanna to the greater Moses! But they don't. They blaspheme Christ. And they don't even cry that out at the resurrection. So Jesus leaves them without excuse, and he presses his challenge against these faithless ones who make evil accusations against the Son of God. That's what we see in verses 21 to 22. This story, this parable, this picture. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoils. You see what Jesus is saying? He's illustrating for us. He's teaching us how powerful satan was in the world before the coming of christ and jesus is the the greater man the greater strong man who comes forth we can't play around with satan the evil prince of darkness he's strong he guards his palace he guards his fortress and with all of his slaves in bondage He's active. But we must deal with the reality of what Jesus presses home here. There is personal evil in this world. Satan and all of his followers, the fallen angels, wicked, hateful, absolutely intent upon destroying the good, the true, and the beautiful. Destroying God's people. And Satan, before the coming of Christ, he was fully armed and he was ready to defend his kingdom. What are the goods that Satan owns? What does he control? Isn't it fallen humanity? Humanity and bondage to sin and bondage to corruption and damnation. And what is the Lord Christ going to do as he comes forth? He plunders the kingdom of Satan as the greater man, as the king. He plunders this pretender king, this prince of darkness, this greater Pharaoh, and he does it by striking a mortal blow, crushing the head of Satan at the cross. That's the gospel. The glorious reality of the resurrection so that he can take for himself out of the kingdom of Satan Trophies of His grace and love. Are you a trophy of God's grace and love today? I mean, we already read about it in our call to confession, didn't we? I mean, it was a, a stark list of what we were and what some of us were like in bondage to Satan and sin. But Christ plundered Satan's kingdom and crushed sin and evil and brought redemption that we might be washed, that we might be sanctified, that we might be justified in Christ, the glory of the gospel. This warrior, he came forth in the mystery and the wonder of the gospel, not as the lion to rush in and bite the head off the dragon, but in the mystery of the gospel, he came forth like a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, the pure one, the holy one, to go forth in weakness that was yet the greatest power to suffer on the cross, to take our place, to swallow up wrath and judgment, and to provide us his holy righteousness so that the head of the serpent was crushed and we're liberated. He exercises authority over all the spiritual and physical realms. And here's the reality. There's no middle ground. You're either in Christ and in his kingdom, or you are in your sin and you are in bondage. You're in the kingdom of darkness. Jesus declares in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What a promise. What a reality. You see, in his victory, we are given the great gospel ministry of gathering. That's part of the plundering. We're about it today as we gather in his name, as we sing his praise, as we joyfully go forth to the sacrament of baptism, the procession of the faithful. We've been given the great commission. We're about the gift of serving our sovereign in love and freedom so that we gather in the elect in Christ from all the nations. We do it day by day and Lord's day by Lord's day all across the globe as Christ's church is active and alive. Gathering in His people, the the kingdom is expanding. You see, you can't hear these words, brothers and sisters, and remain neutral. There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. And we can't grow weary of praying and serving and loving and sharing and gathering in. Jesus is the dividing line between all of humanity. Between those who believe in him and those who do not believe in him. So I ask us all the question, what kingdom are you in this morning? The kingdom of light and life or darkness and death? What sovereign do you serve this morning? The Lord of life and love who gives freedom or the prince of darkness who brings division and destruction. There's no middle ground. Well, we finally see a picture of false conversion and the horrible reality of that and then also the reality of true conversion and what it means to be alive in Christ in our final thought. The third thing that we need to receive and see Is the King's Spirit and His Word. That's what we see here in verses 24 to 28. We see a picture of emptiness and hopelessness on one hand, compared to absolute blessedness and the joys of life in Christ on the other hand. You see, Jesus' final words to these men here in this parable, they show the horrible reality of a faithless heart a heart that has not been filled by the Spirit of Christ, that has not been sealed with the presence of the Almighty King of the universe, but one who is in bondage and vulnerable. And he shows the reality of his final state. Verses 24 to 26, we see Christ's analogy of an an unclean spirit that returns to an empty house, which underscores the importance of true repentance and transformation. Brothers and sisters, we must be born again. We must truly be transformed in our hearts so that Christ comes and expels our old fleshly desires and gives us new desires, a new heart. And he takes up residence in our heart. But you see, here's this man who's empty. He doesn't have the the Lord filling his heart. He's still in bondage. But you see, through the gift of faith and repentance, through the gift of, of Christ's victory for us, whereby he ascended on high and interceded for us to the Father to pour out the Holy Spirit, we can be filled and no life. If you're a son or a daughter of Abraham this morning, you have the Holy Spirit of Christ filling your heart that brings forth the gift of faith. And when that happens, Jesus equips us for spiritual warfare so that we do the battle of living for him and putting off the old and putting on the the new. So Jesus confronts us with the necessity of receiving him. and, And how are we to do that? Do we simply just repeat a Billy Graham prayer? The sinner's prayer? Just some Some truths, some facts about the gospel. That's it. There it is. It's done. It's a cold, contractual relationship that takes place. No. I mean, the gospel is true, and we must believe it intellectually. We must know the truths of Christ. We must know the truth of the gospel of our salvation. But it's not cold. It's not contractual. It is a fire that comes into our hearts and lives by the Spirit of God and the Word of God so that God by His grace shows us more and more who we really are without Him. So we see our sin. We see our brokenness. We see the reality of our bondage. And then we hear the call of the Savior who comes and rescues us. And we rest in Him alone for salvation and we receive Him alone for salvation. So what about you? Are you truly converted? Do you have the king of kings seated upon the heart throne of your life? Well, Jesus is making it very clear. The point of this parable is the complete bondage of this man here. He says that the spirit, the evil spirit, brings seven more more evil than him to take up residence in this heart the the number 7 in the bible is the number of completion he's saying that the last state of this man is a complete state of no hope he's doomed he's in utter bondage to the end without christ well maybe you're saying to yourself right here and right now come on tim there's no devil there's no demons We're modern people of science. I say don't be naive. To deny that is to deny the the word of God. And to deny that reality is really to deny your own senses as you look around at this crazy, broken, evil, fallen world. The only good in this world is because of God and his grace and his gospel. So don't be naive. Don't deny the word of God. Rest and receive the Christ. He's offering himself to you because he offered himself for you on the cross and you can put your roots down deep in the things of Christ so that your heart is filled up, that you have a vibrant life, that you bear forth fruit in the seasons of your life. That's Psalm 1. Receive the Christ. Receive his spirit. He'll fill your heart and protect you forevermore. And you see, to receive Jesus Christ means to receive his word. Now think about this as we land this ship. Here is the word of God in the flesh standing before these people. And he declares to them the true nature of blessedness. We have this in the the last two verses there. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, in modern parlance here, what this woman is doing is she's, she's crying out, Bless your heart, Jesus. Blessed are your parents. They did such a good job. You're such an impressive young man. We do that today. We see a young man or a young woman doing right, living right. Oh, you, your parents did such a good job. You're so impressive. But you see, the reality here is that is to reject Jesus and what he's really proclaiming before them. He's not just impressive. He's the Savior. And that's why he responds with, no, 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 no. True blessedness is to truly hear the word of God so that you live it. That's his command. So here's the word of God in the flesh declaring the command, hear and believe the word of God. So what's the command of the Lord Jesus Christ? Believe me. Believe on me. Receive me. Trust me. And love. This is it. To believe in Christ and to love. Enter into the kingdom of life and peace. Have the bonds of your sin removed by the one who comes to plunder Satan's kingdom and bring forth free men and free women forevermore to enjoy the freedom and the joys of Christ's kingdom, of heaven and earth. It has come and it's coming. So, brothers and sisters, how do we apply this? Well... Let's fill our hearts up on Christ. Let's fill up our hearts on his word. Let's meditate upon the the word. Let's let's do what we've heard last week and be about the business of praying daily. Let's be about the business of praying for the Holy Spirit, that we might understand who Christ is all the more, that we might draw near to Jesus. Let's live out of Christ's triumph and rehearse the great promises of God over us each and every day that we have Him. He won't let us go. He is greater than Satan. He is greater than our sin. He is greater than this fallen world. He's our Savior King. He's our Shepherd King. And we need this. We need to hear this. As as Sam began our worship service, the reality of the tension of this life that we live, we live in tension. And really and truly, Christians live in the greatest tension. Because we know that Christ came forth and he inaugurated his kingdom. We're part of it. We experience it. In his incarnation, his person and work, his life, his ministry, his cross, his burial, his resurrection and ascension. His kingdom has come. And it really and truly does continue on even today. I know sometimes we look around America and we wonder, where is it? But the kingdom of God is coming. Across the globe, he's calling into himself all manner of people from every nation and tribe and tongue and people group. It's happening. And hallelujah, the promise, the reality that one day it will be consummated forevermore. That is our great hope. The end will come and Jesus will return, and Satan and his followers will be thrown forevermore in the lake of fire. And, brothers and sisters in Christ, you will hear God the Father's glorious pronouncement over you in Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest, physical and spiritual, forevermore. What a promise. What a glorious reality. So if you don't receive Jesus, this is the reality right here. He is the dividing line. You're either in Christ or you're in your sin in chains. Trust him. Receive him. Rejoice in him. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, what a hard message, and yet true, that here we are in the midst of these worlds and in the midst of this battle, and we are powerless in and of ourselves and in bondage to sin without Christ our Savior. So Lord, we lift up a holy hallelujah to you in the praise of holy worship, thanking you for redeeming us and delivering us. And we pray that we would experience that hallelujah, not just today on the Lord's Day, which is so special, but each and every day of our lives, especially as we move into this new week, that we would be about the gathering, bringing people into the kingdom as we speak truth, as we share Christ, as we share our own stories and our own lives. Oh Lord, may you be well pleased to extend your kingdom even this week through people such as we are, by your grace, by your power. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.